Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Escape Your Boring Job Stories. Today is the first time that I have two guests on my podcast, Fares Talib and his business partner, Mohamed Bassem. Fares and I worked in CVC and CV Labs, uh, Blockchain VC and Startup Incubator. At some point, Fares <laughs> left and is now working for a licensed crypto bank. Recently, I found out that he has a crypto trading business that he runs in parallel with his full-time banking job. And because crypto markets are booming more than ever, I wanted to talk to Fares and Mohammed about how it is to run a crypto trading business. So guys, welcome to my podcast. I'm very happy to have you here. Can you please introduce yourself and tell us more about what is it that you do? Thanks for having us first. Very happy about that. Basically, what we do, Talib and Basim Advisory, is two things. One of them is we start with the trading and we started with manual trading in 2016. And the second part is we help clients or advise clients with mining. And that's Mohammed's mainly idea what he does. He's the programmer in our group. We also do outsourcing for clients in the programming. So we connect the Middle East, especially Jordan, plays there with the Swiss, you know, IT leads and European second. And that's also one thing that currently is booming because in Jordan and the Middle East, there's lots of programmers. That can work. And of course, being outsourced to Switzerland, it would help Swiss startups with less funding and, you know, less payments, having their, I would say, projects done in a perfect manner. There's no language barriers. Lots of people in Jordan speak German. That's what we do. Trading, number one. Second is mining advisory and, of course, programming. What I do at the company, apart from my normal job, is I do sales. I find clients and that's what I like to do mainly. And of course, trading. So the strategies, how we trade, when we trade, different fundamental views on the tokens that we're looking for comes from my side. And of course, the other 90%, which is more important than what I do, comes from Hamid. Yeah, well, your role is not uh, less valuable than mine. Uh, mainly, I handle the technical aspects of uh, everything that we do, from building trading bots to helping customers that have mining farms by also developing custom-made applications for them that will make the mining process easier for them. I mean, you do more than that. That's not that, basically. <laughs> One thing that uh, like Mohammed also does is he's pretty fast at you know programming things. So, for example, one client needed to check his mining from far away. So we programmed an app. We call it an app. It's not on the phone yet. That you can check your mining operations, how it's going, if it's online, offline, what you're mining you know, from far away. You do a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and how did you guys start with mining and with this type of advisory? We met 2012 at university during our bachelor's. And he told me like, hey, uh, let's uh, start mining Bitcoin. And I was like, no, that's uh, stupid. And then in 2014, we met again, where our friendship started actually. And then we started mining Bitcoin. But of course, it's not that big of operation 2014. ASICs came in. And then we got kicked out of the market because we used GPUs. In 2015 and 16, we started with trading. I've been trading since 2009, actually, when the market crashed and I had some money and then sold it and started with the crypto trading and mining. Since 2015, 16, we learned a lot. I mean, we saw the market dump and go up and 20,000, 3,000, 1,300. It was interesting times since 2012, I would say, since I said it's stupid. But that's how we met. And in 2017, we started with the advisory business and outsourcing. Now it's booming, especially that there, you know, with Crypto Valley, 
with the connections, with the price going up and so on. And we're taking advantage of that. But our main goal is not only when the price is booming, but of course, later on, creating apps for people that will be needed in the future for longer term than just smaller projects. I have a lot of questions, especially in regards to outsourcing. But before we move to that, what is your background? I'm a finance guy. I worked forever in finance. I worked in banking, classical banking and finance, then worked at a pharma company three years, treasury, finance, CVVC, finance, and now at uh, the first world crypto bank, Signum, sales, but also finance. That's my background. But of course, I've been building stuff in companies since forever. And I love people, love talking to people. I always say everything is related to people. You can't build a company, you can't you know, profit, you can't enjoy your life without people. But uh, Mohammed's background is way more interesting. He, he started programming <laughs> in what, when, when you were like six years old? <laughs> Not six years old, 12 or something like that. I actually started both my bachelor degree and career as a freelancer in 2014. So since my freshman year, I've been working in the IT industry as well. I've worked on basically what we are doing right now from trading bots. Also, I'm a game developer. I'm currently working with a Canadian company. We're developing virtual reality video games. That's interesting. Um, yeah. And how did you first find out about Bitcoin and about crypto? Because I understood that you were the one who introduced Fares to this. Basically, I was just, I've seen some ads that if you actually watch them, they will pay you in Bitcoin. And I was like, what, what's Bitcoin? And then the whole thing actually started. Yeah, but that was back when Bitcoin was actually nothing. <laughs> yeah. But you remember in Germany, when I was in Germany, and I told you that we need to send money for a guy in Syria for his mom. That's also one thing that made us actually believe in Bitcoin that much. You were both at that time in Europe, or where were you based when you first started with Bitcoin? Jordan. Ah, in yeah. Jordan. What is the crypto scene there? I mean, is there a crypto scene? I am not, I, had not to close, not... I had to close my mining farm in Jordan because of the regulations, basically. People, they have crypto. You can trade using crypto, but it's not legal tender, not Switzerland. So, How were those early days with regards to mining? Pretty fun. We bought GPUs and GPUs were not you know, that much high demand as now. Like now you can't find any GTX 3060 or anything. It's crazy. But in those days, we used to mine at university. It was different because we didn't have credit cards at those times. So we couldn't buy anything online. But you could use Bitcoin to exchange to actual money online and then use it to buy, I don't know, games, books. So that was the main idea. It was never something for profit or to live off, but something for fun. People that did it for fun actually enjoyed it. It's not only for money. Yeah, and that's interesting what you just mentioned, that there's a lack of these devices that you use today for mining. Because one of my friends, he just wanted to build recently a mining rig and he had troubles finding some parts online and he said some parts he couldn't find them actually when they appear on the market and he was trying to buy them and he said they're gone in five minutes as kind of somebody who is not that much into mining actually i wasn't sure if mining is still a thing so maybe you can tell us a little bit more about that is that still something that is profitable that people can do you have these large mining farms but if you are for example one person and you have just one mining rig is that something that would still be profitable for you correct me if i'm wrong Mohammed, but it depends on the price right electricity price sorry and so let's say you're buying a rig with it has eight gpus so you're basically mining ethereum so ethereum eight rig eight gpus and if it's in switzerland you most likely go out with a loss because of the electricity prices tax and so on but let's say you're in i don't know 
Kazakhstan or the other countries with way lower electricity, then you'll probably go out with a profit. But you need at least 10 to 12 months to get back the rig price. Uh, let's say you bought it for five to 6,000 euros. You'll get it back. But of course, it depends on the Ethereum price. Let's say you're getting one Ethereum a month. In 12 months, it's 24,000. But if Ethereum crashes to $300, then you're not getting anything. 100% profitable for sure. Is it worth it? That's different. I mean, Mohammed can talk about the worthiness because you have to change rigs. Some things burn. Electricity sometimes doesn't work. You have to create apps and programs to check what you're mining, hash rate, and so on. Yeah, as first said, actually, whether it's profitable for you or not will highly depend on where you are mining exactly. So let's say you're mining in a country where electricity is cheap. Ethereum price is actually going up. It's going to be highly profitable for you. Um, but you also have to take into consideration that you'll need a place that can supply you with enough power. Actually, one of our recent clients had like around 11 mining rigs, but in the end, he was only able to run eight of them because the office that he rented actually couldn't supply him with enough power to run the 11 rigs. I think we bought the rigs for him for 100,000 something plus minus Swiss francs, so probably 80,000 euros. If he has all the rigs running, I think around 40 Ethereum per month. Yeah. Something like that. I imagine. For right? zero. Yeah. As a profit. <laughs> yeah. If you buy those now, because the price for each GPU is like 10 times the actual price, then you pay up to 200,000 for it. I don't have the numbers correctly in my mind, but it costs way more than if you bought them in 2017 or 18. On average, you will break even after 10 months, let's say. Yeah, after that, uh, everything that you'll be making is actually profit after, of course, you subtract the, the electricity cost and the rent. Mm -hmm. But this sounds like a very large investment. So would you suggest that somebody starts with just one rig or is this something profitable if you have more than one besides the electricity cost and everything else? You could even start with half a rig. You can buy a rig and then only put like four GPUs on it. And as you are making profit, you can buy more rigs. And the more eggs or more GPUs, the more GPUs you buy, the more money you'll make. You can actually expand it as a business. If you look at it in 2018, when the prices crashed, no one wanted to mine anymore. Most of our clients kept mining 2018-19 and never sold the Ethereum. So if you look at it, it just increasing in price. It depends on what you're doing, but I would say with a Swiss electricity cost, it's not really worth it. You would rather look for a green source of electricity. That would make more sense, to be honest. Okay, and how are you actually advising those clients? Somebody reaches out to you and then they say, okay, I want to start mining. And then you guys set up the whole process for them and the whole equipment. And then you provide them ongoing consulting or what is it that exactly you guys do for those clients? Yeah. What we do is we find the clients or they find us. Now with COVID and everything, traveling is pretty restricted. We're doing something called COVID advisory. And by that, we mean we do it all through online means, video calls and so on. For example, in Romania, we had a client. We couldn't travel there. We usually travel. One of us goes to the spot and does everything by hand. And 90% of the time, that's Mohammed, not me, because he knows more than me. We get the rigs for them if they don't have it. And we build the rigs for them too. We put them in place. We check everything. And of course, we build an application for them so that they can just check what they're mining pretty easily. I don't think it's that easy. To do all those things, you know, if you look at the computer and so on, what you're mining, how you're mining, is it good or not? But with the application that we build for, you know, each client, they can, you know, actually use it and just understand what's happening. After that, we always have an extra advisory for one year. 
and then anything else we can continue per different contracts. And this app, of course, has a monthly fee. This is the second part that we're doing now. It's not that much of a fee, but of course, if you go it bigger, bigger, then it's going to be one, one source of income for us. Yeah. Yeah. And that's interesting because that's something that is very scalable, I assume, this app. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and how do you build this? Because this is something that you mentioned just before you talked that you actually outsource and you hire some developers from Jordan that build certain solutions for you. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I'm very interested in this type of outsourcing. And especially, I think if you provide services here in Switzerland, that would be considered as service import. So I think that's a very interesting business model for a lot of businesses. It is service import if you think about it, but we're just getting smart service because most of the companies here are going outsourcing to Poland, other European countries. It's pretty expensive. But comparing it to the Middle East or Jordan, it's way cheaper than you know those countries. But still, the people there, all of them are highly educated. 90% of the Jordanian students uh, finish university. It's not only just school and so on. And everyone works pretty hard. So why do you go to Poland or every, we can, we can get you someone that speaks German, even had experience in Germany because there's the German university in Jordan and everyone has to go to Germany for a year. And we can get those people to do your projects for you pretty easily. And we're the connection between everything. That's why Mohammed does a lot of the work because he talks to the clients, understands what they need, their programming needs, and then actually kind of translates it to the Jordanian developers that we have. Of course, we don't have employees. We have this community of developers that we know. We got to know through university, through jobs. It's kind of like a telegram group where we say, okay, we have this project. Who's really interested? And then we vet them one by one and until we get to the actual best person for the job. But one thing that we really are proud of is that we do not cut those employees off or freelancers off. So we don't like take 90% of the investment from the company and give them 10%. No, we actually give them Swiss salaries. And by Swiss salaries, I don't mean like exactly saving, but the amount that is enough for the Jordanian salary. The least person would get double or three times the market salary in Jordan. And that's what we are really proud of. In the end, what we're trying to do is it's not just outsourcing and so on and so on, but helping both countries. I mean, I'm Swiss. I love it here. I love to help startups here. We're both from Jordan and we love, you know, everyone there. Giving to both sides, I think this is one of the ways that we can. Giving them actual good salaries, making people live better and enjoying what they're doing. You know, it's freelancing, of course, but it's something they can live off and say, okay, we have experience. We did this and this for a Swiss company. And what we also do is get a certificate from this company and our company to give them that, okay, they worked on this project. It's not like just freelancing project, take the money and go away. More and more people are actually using this business model. And I think this is the future because it's a win-win situation for everybody. As you said, you know, especially if you pay your people in the other country, if you pay them above market salary. So for them, this is amazing opportunity to work with a company that is abroad. And then for you, that's also very interesting because you don't have to have employees here, but you can just work with very good freelancers abroad. But how is it to manage them? This is more kind of a technical question. I see also that some people whose whole business is based here in Switzerland, sometimes they're very skeptical when you tell them, okay, there's this opportunity to work with people who live abroad because they've never done it. I assume for them, it's difficult to imagine that this could work perfectly as if those people would be here. So how is it to manage or to collaborate with your freelancers? And do you have any special strategies? Do you have, for example, daily meetings or daily stand-up meetings or things like that? And do you also let those people work directly with the client or are you just the face towards the client? I mean, we can talk about the meetings. We dislike meetings. We think meetings are time wasters. It's just resource and time wasting. 
we were absolutely against micromanaging and asking what you're doing today and so on. The business is based on trust. I'm a sales guy. I like to sell everything to anyone in the end. If I'm talking to a client, I'm not trying to just sell them something. Like if you think about it, you go to a shop and if someone comes to you and asks you, do you want this or that? You kind of shy away. But if someone asks you, how can I assist you? Then you're like, oh, okay, they're here to assist me. And that's the, the process that we're doing with the Swiss client. Let's build a trustable relationship. And how can you do that? by selling and building trust is that, okay, you don't have to pay us anything. We can do some program for you, test it out. And if you like it, then we can start this process. Of course, this backfired a couple of times. We did it, then they say, okay, no. But in the end, if the company that we're trying to work with is like that, then we don't really want to work. We're looking for the best people to work with from both sides. We're not just looking for any business to come here and there. It doesn't make sense. You know, how to work with freelancers, at the beginning, it was hard. I think Mohammed kept in Jordan going to each one and had to rent offices and so on and work together. But now 90% of the guys that work with us, we already worked with them for like a year or two. So we kind of know them. It's not that hard. Like, I think people overcomplicate things. Companies overcomplicate things. Like with those meetings, what you should do, we give the people the freedom. I give them the freedom to do stuff. And then at the end of the month, we can check, okay, is there, do you need anything from us? Can we help you and so on? I mean, especially Mohammed because he has so much experience in programming. You know, he can pretty much solve anything, I would say. Is it hard for you to translate what the programmers need to do? No, not at all. Actually, now, if you think about it, there is a, a different variety of tools that actually can help you boost the development process, like Trello to divide the task using GitHub, for example. Basically, when, when we talk to clients, we first take the business requirements and then I translate it to my team into technical requirements and then we break it down into technical tasks and then we basically divide the tasks between us and we keep track on these using these platforms I can keep track on everybody's progress whether it's daily progress or weekly progress we never have a problem with a project not getting done like we always get it done even faster and I think that's because we're really trying to be helpful to people instead of just ripping them off of course, you know, salary is not the most important thing in the world, but in some countries it is. If you pay well, if you trust the people, everything is trust. <laughs> Current pandemic actually proved that since now there are companies who switched to home office permanently. Definitely, this is the future. Some of these companies will actually never even go back to how it was before that you have to be in the office every day. So I even saw some people saying, I don't remember which company it was, but they said, that they actually estimate that more and more these companies will actually hire global workforce because there are so many talented people all over the world that you don't even have to just keep looking in your local market because you can hire all these people abroad. The only thing is that you need to have a really nice process and organize everything properly. Of course, I would assume at the beginning, it's a learning for everybody because you need to establish this process, how you work together. But then in the future, if you actually hire really good people, then you will find a way. In third world countries, there's so many talented people, but there's also a lot of talented women. And to be honest, especially in our team, when we say it's, you know, home office space, you can work at your own time, you can do whatever you want. There's a lot of women that really are interested in this. In Switzerland, you say there's a scarcity of women that do programming, but in Jordan, there are a lot and they do the work pretty well, even better than, than other guys. I like this. If other companies can follow suit, like go to third world countries, find some unprivileged, I would say, people, and especially women, they can do the job too. That's the nice thing about this global world currently. We can let everyone work. doesn't matter what you are, what, yes, what sex you have. Everyone's smart. That's what we say. 
And there was one thing that you mentioned that a lot of people in Jordan speak German. So can you talk more about it? That's very interesting. Yeah. Because the German Jordanian University, I think it opened in 2011. In this university, you have to go for one year to Germany and work and study there. Most of the things that you study are in German. So you take you know, German classes and so on. What you got is a workforce that has never been seen in Jordan is that they went to Germany They speak the German language, they speak English, and they speak Arabic, and they got German experience, and they came back to Jordan. So now they have the ethics of, you know, a German working person with the knowledge of a German university living in Jordan. Basically, it's one of the best universities in Jordan where you can find a job directly after. That's why there's lots of people speaking German. And in addition to that, private schools that only teach English now teach German and Chinese. That's also one thing people would profit from, even in Chinese and so on. Mohammed learned German at the university. Interesting. So, Mohammed, you speak fluent German. I <laughs> Cool. And so this university in Jordan, this is a private university. <clears throat> and is it difficult to get into it? Governmental uh, university, not private. You need one of pretty good high grades, I would say, plus minus. But, of course, you need to be smart. It's not an easy entry. Private universities are easy to enter to, but governmental ones, no. This one is not that easy to go into, but of course, if you're smart, you can. I graduated ages ago, so I don't really know now what they're looking for. <laughs> Tell me more about your trading business. We started in 2015-16. We just started looking at the market, how it works, especially the crypto market. So we don't really do equities or anything classical. Until 2017, I would say, when it reached the 20,000 mark, Bitcoin, we were trading. And after that, we were like, okay, let's backtest and find some other ways to make money through this market. And then, of course, 2017 happened and we were pretty much short on it. Since 2017, then 18, 19, we started developing a strategy. It's not a quantitative strategy. We follow very simple things, but it works for us pretty good. And now we said in 2021, let's do a bot that does it automatically for us and then we can focus on the other things because trading does take a lot of my time and if there's an automatic bot that does it for us then it could be another income stream for this company where we can fund other activities and grow i would say even more instead of just relying on the programming and the mining advisory part in the next two months we should have the back testing everything ready on um, the fact sheet ready and we'll also maybe looking for outside investors if they're interested in investing in this fact sheet or fund, this would be based on trust and not on how much money you have. Trading today is very big topic. And that's why yeah. it's really good to have you guys here. So what would you recommend to people? Is it worth investing in crypto today? Ethereum crashed on Kraken to $700 or something. That would have been a good investment. Depends. Are you investing or are you trading? We never in our life said how much it will be in, in the future. We believed in Bitcoin. That's one thing. You'll never find me saying, okay, it will go to 100,000, 200,000, whatever. It's not something we do. It's not something logical because that's an investment. If you believe in it, you should invest in it and see what happens. It actually helped the community grow. Going into trading without knowing anything, you'll probably lose money 
all of your money if you're doing leverage trading. So I would not recommend that. Actually, that's a very good point because that's also what I tell people when people ask me, you know, they hear that I work in crypto scenes and even though I'm not a trader, And because I also have a little bit of finance background and I tell them, look, unless you're a professional trader, then I would not recommend day-to-day trading. I would assume that this requires a lot of time. You know, you need to follow the markets. You need to be constantly informed of what is going on. So the only thing that I would actually tell people, okay, if you want to do, then buy and hold. I think for average person, this is the strategy that they should stick to. What is your opinion on that? Yeah, you like Bitcoin, you believe in it, but you just don't want to dump 50,000 right now. So you dollar cost average, I mean, DCA, let's say every week, every two weeks, you put $50 or whatever. I mean, it's not financial advice, but 80% of our net worth is in crypto. So (laughs) it makes sense. You don't put all your money at once in one thing without knowing. I also have a story from lots of persons in 2017, you know, that bought some stuff which were scams. You know, that's too bad. Someone selling all his pension and putting it into something and then it just vanishes. Poof, it's too bad. There's always those bad people. But if you stay on the top three, four coins, tokens, like Bitcoin, Ethereum, and not XRP, those are pretty <laughs> good. But don't invest in something you don't understand. If you follow Warren Buffett, what he says in value investing and so on, if you don't understand Bitcoin, don't invest in it until you actually read, understand it and so on why we put everything into Bitcoin, so to say. Because in 2016, when I was in Germany and Mohammed was still in Jordan, I met someone, uh, he was Syrian, who tried to send you know, money to his family and it doesn't work because a Commerzbank doesn't want to send money, Deutsche Bank doesn't want to send money because it's terrorism, financing, blah, blah, blah. And his mom needs to go to the hospital. What can you do? So I mean, I was like, yeah, try Bitcoin. Maybe the doctor that is in Syria accepts it. And lo and behold, he accepted it. That made us believe like, okay, maybe Switzerland or Germany doesn't need Bitcoin, but maybe those third world countries do need it for freedom of finance. Yeah. And that's one way you can think of before investing. Like, okay, it's freedom of finance. It could be good to invest in for the future. So let's see. Even within the EU, like if I want to send money to somebody else, I'll have to wait for like a few days, which is not convenient to be honest. And also pay very large fees. Exactly. In Switzerland, it's easy to send money. If you're talking about international transfers, that's the problem. So that's the big fees. And we don't need those fees. It's all just cut out the middleman. We don't need the middleman. And what would you tell to those people who don't know anything or who know very little about Bitcoin, but who are curious and they're afraid that Bitcoin is a scam? How would you convince them that it's not? Read the white paper of Bitcoin. That's one thing. It's technical, but you'll understand a lot of it. Check some videos online for Andreas Antonopoulos. He's a good guy, I would say. Do not open Twitter. Crypto Twitter is crazy. (laughs) And don't follow traders. I short Bitcoin. I long Bitcoin. Doesn't mean I'm selling Bitcoin. That's the difference. You need to read about it, I would say. And if you believe, then you believe. If you don't, then you don't. But in the end, from our side, we 100% believe in that crypto and Bitcoin will be the futures. How did you first find your clients for trading? I had a trading group in 2015 when we started on Twitter and so on. We found some people. And then in 17, we created a Discord group. We had around 250 people that were trading with us. And as usual, as Twitter, no one knows each other. So we're all like behind cartoons, images, and so on. That's one thing. Then, you know, everyone got rich. Those are the main clients that we worked with until recently. For trading, we developed a lot of things together. 
now with this bot and once the fact sheet is up and it's 100% legal to invest in, we're expecting most of those people also you know, to be interested in investing in it. They just want to enjoy life now instead of sitting down and trading. That's the start of clients, I would say. But in the end, you know, everything before COVID was meetups, going there, talking to people, assisting. So that's how you get the clients, how you find them, I would say. It's not easy. You have to be an extrovert, absolutely. But if you know how to talk, if you know how to understand what the client needs, then, you know, you'll get your clients pretty easily. You just have to be out. You go outside and find the people. And how does this thing work with a bot? Because for somebody who doesn't even know how it works, having a bot trading your money can sound scary. So maybe you can explain to them how does it work and why there is no reason to worry. Yeah, so basically, you start by having a strategy that is developed by a trader, like Faris, for example. He trades based on strategies that he developed. So what I do is that I take these strategy rules and mathematics and I convert it into code. Now, the advantages of doing that is that one, the bot will never get tired. It, it will never have a need to sleep. And the most importantly, it will never trade based on emotions, which, which plays a huge factor for the loss that usually traders make. Although it's scary, once you've done the bad testing, which is by testing the bot on historical data, let's say, for example, you test a certain strategy on five years period, and you see how the strategy actually performed during these five years. For example, most of the trading platforms right now provide you with a test network where you can actually run your bot or actually trade, but on fake money. So you don't actually lose your real money, but you are trading using fake Bitcoin or whatever. So you can actually test your strategy on live market data in real time. So after you have determined that this strategy is actually working, then you can actually start by putting a little bit of equity in the bot. And then bit by bit, you can see whether it's performing well or not. We tested 2017. So that's like three years plus. And it's live since January this year. But it's live only for us. And we're testing until May June, as I said, April should be everything be ready, 100% bug fixed, but we just have two more months, let's say until June, once everything is correct, and we can see that how it is developing in, you know, live markets. We tried testnet for like a week or two in January, didn't like it, so we just put actual equity in it and just started using it. Until now, it's doing way better than expected. I think it's because the markets are, you know, crazy, so highly volatile, so that's also good. But also in 2017, once everything, the crash happened, the markets went sideways, most of the funds that I saw with their fact sheets were either a little bit up or down, mainly on, on their investments. In our case, the backtesting shows uh, you know, the opposite. That's the interesting part. Until we get the fact sheet done and everything where we can show the numbers and get them audited, I would say, then this thing would be really interesting to invest in. Now it's live, are using our own equity. Let's see how it works. It's an endless process, basically, where we develop certain aspects of the strategy. We turn it into code, then we backtest it, then Faris comes up with new ideas, then we <laughs> throw everything away and then we start again. And then sometimes we have to do tons of testing for the values that you are using. For example, if you're using certain values for the take profit or the stop loss, and we want to find which value is going to generate the maximum amount of profit during the back testing it's a rapid development process actually and is there any required testing period or are you guys deciding how much information you need to feel secure to onboard clients depends some fact sheets that i have read just take two years 
some take one year. We're taking the maximum available, like since 2017, so 17, 18, 19, 20, so four years. And we started live now. We can probably test it before 2017 if a client wants it or if the fact sheet is, needs that. But as far as I learned or saw, it doesn't need more than three years. Mm-hmm. But like four years wh- is perfect. And when you say fact sheet, what exactly do you refer to? Is this actually a document that explains how this bot works or what is your investment strategy? No. So the investment strategy is confidential. The fact sheet shows the backtesting, how much it's getting, you know, return on investment each month. So let's say compared to other indexes, for example, the SME and Dow Jones and so on. I'm using our own trading strategy for Bitcoin mainly. And then this fact sheet is also going live by next year as an actual security, so to say, so that people can invest in it. This security contains just crypto or yep. also traditional securities? It trades only crypto and mainly only Bitcoin, I would say 90% trading in Bitcoin. And how did you yeah. develop this strategy? I mean, I understand that it is confidential, but how did you get your ideas and how did you validate your ideas? Because you also said that you spend a lot of time trading even today. So tell us more about that. It took time. I would say five, six years now. I've been doing the same thing, just developing how I trade and so on. You're reading books about finance statistics. What I always do is just go against the trend. So for example, in my master's degree, everyone at statistics was saying this is impossible to do. And I just do the opposite and it works. So if I want to give an advice to someone, just do the opposite of whatever anyone is telling you, especially uh, smart people. I mean, I'm not a smart person. I'm really not smart, but I work and I get things done. That's how we got here. I mean, if I'm just smart, I would have been, you know, having a PhD right now, sitting down and doing the normal things, but I'm not. I mean, even Mohammed, we're not smart. We just work hard. It took time, lots of nights, lots of losses. Between a night and day, something happened and we found out that this is how to do it. And we've been doing it since forever. It's not perfect, but it's risk management in the end. We're not emotional, but with the bot, we don't even need to take care of the emotions. Yeah. And you said that you also had some losses and that this lasted for a long time. Did you ever have a time where you felt like, oh, is this even worth it, what I'm doing? I'm a person that never regrets anything. I never asked myself if this is worth it or not. I just do it until it succeeds. I don't believe in giving up, to be honest. And that's one thing I think which is good for people to know. Like even if you have one job and you work like 12 hours a day, if you want to succeed, you have to work 16 hours, four hours for yourself and 12 for your job. And why do I say that? Because if you promise someone, your manager, your team members and everyone that you're going to do something, then that's also something you have to do. And that's what I believe in. doesn't mean that I'm cutting off the work at the bank. No, I'm actually putting it first because I promised the people that I'm going to help them and assist them working with clients and so on. And that's what I'm doing. But for yourself, you need to work. You can do it in the evening instead of going out to a bar every night. You can work on yourself. People were talking about Game of Thrones and we were like, what? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) I really like what you just said, that it's all about the mindset and about not giving up because sometimes success will take time, but you just need to be persistent. There's actually a saying that those who fail are just those who gave up too early. Even if you fail or if you're failing, you're still learning and you just know how to do things differently next time. So I think if you want to achieve something, absolutely just be persistent and keep learning. And also what you said that you're reading books, for example, I'm listening to a lot of podcasts and just listening overall what a lot of other people are saying in my niche, in my market. And this is the way that actually them learning and I just take the best ideas and I implement them in my business. But tell me more about how do you actually handle to have full-time job and to work in this company? 
basically by quitting social life. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard, but I think it's doable. Your job should come first because you have to consider things for yourself. Like, can you afford to actually lose this job? If you are going at some point in the future, just work for yourself, like full time for your business. That's something you'll have to consider, but you have to actually analyze your own situation. For example, you have children, either you are single. It's going to be depending on your own scenarios. To be honest, having a job and then, or working on yourself after you're done with your tasks, I believe it's something that anybody can do if they have the will. To be honest, if you think about it, you need to enjoy it. I mean, everyone says if I'm not stressed, I'm a bad person when I'm not stressed. I like stress. I don't enjoy waking up in the morning, not having anything to do with it. I can't. It just, you know, motivates. It's nice. I mean, your social life is your work in the end because you're socializing with people. But I enjoy it. I enjoy having two jobs. One as a corporate with smart people, lots of other things to do with them, the stress from that side. But one thing that I can do is I can flip the switch. Like I finish that work. Then I'm here doing my own thing. When I want to go sleep, I flip it off, flip everything and go to sleep. Not everyone should do this. If your goal is to actually enjoy life, have a nice stable job, good family, blah, blah, blah. Absolutely do that. That's you. Do you do you. You don't need to look at, you know, everyone, Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, I don't know. And not everyone's going to be them. I don't think we are going to be them. But I think we are going to be us. And that's important. I mean, I believe that I will be what I will be because I want to be, and that's it. Enjoy the process, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Having a job here and doing everything alone is always nice. I wake up at 4 a.m., 4.30, um, take a run outside or exercise at home, and then you know do two hours and a half work for myself, check the markets, and then start working for the bank. And then at 6, 6.30, take a break, and then just work for myself. I know exactly how it feels when you're so motivated to work on your own stuff and you just never get tired. And I think this is something that a lot of people lack in their life. And that's something that I also observed that a lot of people get stuck in these corporate jobs and then they just feel like life doesn't make any sense because you're just doing this nine to five, you go home, then you watch Netflix and then you wonder what is life about. But I think the main reason behind is why people sometimes even feel depressed or unhappy with their lives is just that they haven't found what is actually their true purpose, what is their life's purpose, and they haven't found what actually makes them jump out of the bed in the morning. And that's the first thing, you know, when I hear somebody telling me, oh, I don't feel good or, you know, I'm a little bit depressed. And I say, okay, what is your life goal? Like, what is your higher purpose? And I think as soon as you find this, something that will make you jump out of the bed really happy, then you will not feel tired, you will not feel depressed, and you will just be so happy to work all the time because your job is your hobby, actually. So you just need to find something that you have burning passion for. And then you will not be tired I mean, to do two jobs. Yeah. And then there's some people that won't find it. And that's okay. I said, you need to do what you feel comfortable with. If you like this nine to five going home and then watching I don't know, a movie or something, by all means, just do it. Even if everyone's judging you, you don't need to care. We never cared. People can judge us as much as they want. We're enjoying it. Even if we fail in everything, I mean, I can say, oh, it was fun. Let's do something else now. The problem now is that everyone is thinking about what everyone's thinking about them. Why? <laughs> we personally don't care. I mean, anyone can think of me whatever they want. Anyone can think of Mohammed what they want. We're happy. Yeah, and as Faris said, that even if we fail, so be it. It's fine. At least we won't be regretting that we never tried.
especially when it comes to this type of business ventures. I think people are shy at the beginning, but then once you get into it, then you get more relaxed and then you can do, you know, for example, now I started doing my own podcast or I'm speaking also online and certain events and it just builds up. You know, you just need to start somewhere. Even if you're scared, oh, what are my colleagues going to say if I try this business or if I do that, you know, who cares? Just do whatever you want in the end. Those people will probably admire you for being brave and taking action. Not taking action is pretty bad. I don't know who was saying something like that. The best time to do something is now. Just do it. (laughs) Yes, and that's actually my last question. So I always ask my guests, what are their best three tips for people who are now in their corporate jobs and who have a business idea who would want to give it a try, but don't know how or don't have contacts in startup industry and don't know where to start. What would you advise them how to start? Well, for example... If somebody is trying to learn web development, I would say maybe you could start by actually doing projects for others, even if it's for free, as in for exposure. In the beginning, there's nothing wrong about that. You can actually do projects for others, and then in exchange, you can leave your contact numbers or your company logo at the bottom of the website, and bit by bit, you'll get more exposure over time. I mean, I would say don't think about money. Because everyone wants to leave their job to make a million, 200 million, I don't know what they want. And then they fail because they only think about the monetary gain. Now, don't think about that. I never thought about that. Money comes by itself when you succeed. I mean, it's just a means to an end. Even if you have all the money in the world, you're not going to be happy if you're not happy with what you're doing. So that's the thing. And the second advice I would say, don't leave your corporate job. If you're really interested in something, you'll do it in the evening, in the morning, or both. And then after a year by doing it, if you see that there's success, then start thinking about switching jobs or working less for a corporate job and working more for yourself. But just taking the jump right away, I would say, is too risky for lots of people because you might not like it. Safety, being insured, enjoying everything is way different than just jumping and starting a startup or working in something like what we're doing. Like in the beginning, we were doing everything from our cars, from university, everything. And now we're growing because it's time. If you just follow it and, you know, time moves with it and then you can do it. Those are the main two tips from my side. There's a third tip. Just don't give up. Like we said, just follow your dreams. If you have dreams, if you don't have dreams, it's also okay. Great. Okay, guys, thanks a lot. How can people find you? So if they're interested in trading or in mining or if in just talking to you, where can they find you? Well, they can always contact me on LinkedIn. I'd be happy to help or contact Mohammed on LinkedIn. We're currently developing our own website because there's so much demand going on. It should be ready by end of this week. So they can also find us on the website, hopefully. Thanks, guys, a lot for being my guest today here. And I hope that our listeners found this episode very interesting as much as I did. And guys, don't forget to subscribe to my channels to get notified when the next episode is out.